My name is John D. And I'm listening to A-Bomb Audio. I'm listening to A-Bomb Audio. Three, two, one. On the independent artists exploding on the music scene from the seven sided river house in Chicagoland, here's your host, Jeff Stone. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today we have a super extra special show. We sent our producer, Justin Burchard, to the Finger Lake region of New York to interview a pioneer of rock and roll, Justin. Come in. Can you hear me? Hello? Okay, Hello? Hello? Oh, hey. Uh, Justin, who did you interview? And welcome back. Well, thank you. It was a great trip. I interviewed John Dean, who at one point you could say was bigger than the Beatles. What? He was bigger than the Beatles? Well, in upstate New York, in some ways, yes, he was. Well, I can't wait to find out these ways. Justin, will you set the scene for us? I was in Lansing, New York, which is about the middle of the state. It's a very beautiful area with hills and waterfalls and gorges. And I met with John in his little hideaway studio. Uh, how do you even start an interview with a guy that's probably done thousands of interviews before? Well, I just asked him, uh, how are you doing, John? I'm doing really good. This is amazing that you're doing this. I totally appreciate it. Yeah, We're it's great to be here. It's All the way from you. Chicago. Yep. Cool. So, John, you come from a musical family. Will you tell us about your upbringing and some of your first bands, like the Ridgewoods? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, it was a family of eight kids. Uh, we were playing music way early on, you know, as, as, as kids. My mother, mother and father were totally into it. This is when Elvis Presley and the Everly Brothers and stuff were, were first coming out, late 50s, early 60s, and it was a really magical time because I was about, oh, you know, eight or nine, ten years old. Uh-huh. And I remember driving around with my father in the car, quick story, and, and you'd be, I'd be so low I couldn't see over the windshield, but you could see the radio. And the radios at that time were tube. In other words, they were vacuum tube radios. Okay. So, basically, though, I remember as a little kid hearing the Everly Brothers, yeah. looking up at the radio and thinking they were in there. <laughs> you know, thinking they were in there. Yeah. And I remember thinking at eight or nine years old, I'm thinking, I'm going to do that. Holly Gregg, he lived across the street and was part of the Dean Brothers. I knew him since second grade, and he had this old cowboy guitar. We'd sit there in second, third, fourth grade and try to pluck notes yeah. off this guitar. And eventually we would listen to it, what, Elvis Presley or something, and, and you'd lift the needle up on the 45 uh-huh. and try to figure out, you know, like, is he hitting that note, is he hitting yeah. that note, kind of a thing. I'm, I remember very early on, because I, I, I love the music, you know, dream, 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 and all that stuff. And, of course, all the Dean boys, there were five boys in a row. There were two girls and then five boys and then one poor girl at the tail end. Anyway, <laughs> but we, right away, we were all kind of on the same channel. And, and rock and roll was so young at the time yeah. that you, you knew you could do it. The music at that time was obtainable. 
to people who really didn't know how to play. I mean, lead guitar players were just... They were just riding a couple notes the whole time. Right. So we were going, oh, all he's doing is doing this? Oh, I can do that. You know. Yeah. So it wasn't as impossible as the newer... You know, as people got better, it evolved into... Right. It wasn't there yet. Yeah. So it was obtainable to us. And so we, we formed a band and started playing these... I started on drums, really. And, and, and this was the Ridgewoods. This was the Ridgewoods, yeah. uh, sort of a high school. It was totally high school kids. Yeah. We were, I was 12 when I played wow. my first bar. <laughs> they snuck me in the back of a bar. Wow. I was playing drums. Mm-hmm. We sort of ranged from, I was the youngest, and then my older brother was like 17 or 16 or 18. By that time, they were cheating to get in bars. Yeah. So, and they'd sneak me in. The bars were all smoke-filled. Smoke was everywhere. Beer was everywhere. But we started playing a few bars and, and, and uh, high school, like proms and mm-hmm. stuff. The Ridge was, was the first band where we, we felt the juice. We, I mean, we'd yeah. get in front of people and everybody was grooving and watching us. And we were going, this is the right trail here. Yeah. We're at 15, 16 years old. We can be superstars. Sweet 16 again. Sweet 16 again. Water. Did you pretty much rule the high school? Were you guys like the coolest Well, we were kids? incredibly hip. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was we were, we, from what I, I read online, it was like, um, you know, you guys would have band practice and yeah. suddenly there'd be 50 to 100 teenagers yeah, yeah. there. Right out of a garage. And, yeah. in, in the garage. My parents, thank God they were so tolerable. It was typical high school silly stuff. But yeah. it was, we just had a ball with it. And that's when we first started going, hmm. Do we really want to go to college, or do we want to keep doing this? Yeah, and you guys um, sort of started a second band, right, where uh, you were more the lead yeah, person, and yeah, that was the Gay Blades? That or? was the Gay Blades, which was a little later, and um, what a terrible name for <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means. I could be really naive here. But anyway, at the time, we changed our name to Gay Blades, so I was like 16, 17. So uh, the Gay Blades was sort of a little bit more refined version of the Ridgewoods. Okay. And then we started getting to be juniors and seniors. Then we would hop. We'd run a U-Haul trailer, throw the equipment in the back of the U-Haul, drive to Albany every weekend and play fraternity parties with, and that band, for whatever reason, was called The Clouds. The Mm. name Gay Blades didn't stick, so it became The Clouds, and that was a band where we played for like a year and a half when I was a senior and stuff, in the Albany area at a million different crazy fraternity parties and stuff. Then we all figured you were supposed to go to college. Mm-hmm. you know. So we all, everybody went like to their first year of college. But in those days, again, it's in a, it, contextually, the times we were in was Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The civil rights movement was huge. President Kennedy had, had gotten shot. All that we saw, all this stuff is Martin Luther King. Yeah. So there was a lot of protests going on. There was a lot of that happening. Meanwhile, we're in college. So we, along with thousands of college students, were joining protests against when they dropped the bombs in Cambodia, mm-hmm. the Vietnam thing. Meanwhile, you got Crosby, Stills, and Nash with these songs like Four Dead in Ohio and those yeah. kind of things was hitting the fan. It was 
Unbelievable. And of course, then that's the baby boom lump, all thinking they're going to totally change the world. We're right in that lump. And we said, we all wrote letters. This is before email. At the same time, and everybody was expressing, let's get out of here. Let's do what Crosby, Stills, and Nash did. Let's, yeah. we, we know how to do this. So we all, to our parents, total freak out. All quit <laughs> college. Yeah pretty much the same time, and started a band called the Dean Brothers. That's when we all sort of vowed to be we're going to be serious about this. We're going to go after record deals. We're going to do demos. And at the time, people were going down to New York City and trying to, they would literally go down to New York. You could go down there with a tape, or you could go down there with a, a demo record, a 45 uh -huh. usually. And you'd go to the Brill Building, which is where a lot of songwriting was going on. Carol King, yeah. all these different, God, you'd walk down the halls. We, we went down there as like 19-year-olds, totally naive going into these knocking on doors and offices trying yeah. to get in to see if they'd let you through you know you you try i've got a demo can, yeah. can you can you listen to the demo and we try to get through the secretary first uh -huh. and if the secretary liked it she'd usually get her boss to come out but anyway we got our demo finally played yeah. by um some pretty serious people we had interest they freaked and, and loved this demo we did which was it was just real pure um no drums, no rock, just, just the guitar and beautiful harmonies and stuff. They bought the act, and they informed us that this production group who heard us were, were tight with Atlantic Records. Mm -hmm. So they got Atlantic Records interested. So Atlantic and this production company offered us a three-album deal. And this is before we had a performing act. I mean, we, we yeah. know how to play rock and roll and stuff, right. but we weren't really on the road living in motel rooms mm -hmm. doing the act. So then... This is where we all huddled together because we were so brilliant and 20-year-old knew everything. We knew it all. We figured, well, we don't have drums. We don't have a PA system. We don't have a truck. Let's, get, let's start playing out in front of people first, and then we'll get a record deal. We had the contracts. When they, they practically signed our names on them. Yeah. And we called him up or something and said, well, we're not interested right now, but in about three or four months, we will be. It would have been a pretty big change for you guys, too, huge, right? They huge. wanted to move you guys all to New York City yep, yep, and yep. probably, you know, put you into the music industry machine. Yeah, into the machine. Thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were giving us demos to do. So, I mean, well, that Atlantic didn't do that, but a couple of the other production companies wanted us to do these. Gee, it's so nice to be with you was one of these dumb songs yeah. they wanted us to do. Somebody made a hit out of it. We yeah. didn't. But anyway, we refused. So we, we, we then refused the album deal and uh, started playing out, going on the road, got a sound person. And at the time, bands were bigger. Equipment was huge. Yeah. PA systems were huge. Right. And we became a business. Yeah. And we bought a truck, all the stuff you do, beautiful yeah. board. At the time, it was a 16-track board, which was huge. Right. And... Um, Went out on the road and started doing gigs. 
and were real successful drawing crowds. The Dean Brothers tours, how long would they be and in, in, how far would you travel? Unending. <laughs> uh, we, we, we would, in the summers, we typically went out to the Hamptons and, and Long Island. Okay. Boy, was that a hip place out there. I mean, just all the beaches and yeah. there were bars everywhere. And, and were you guys kind of just playing every night for some We would weeks, play um, four to five nights a week. Okay. And in the Hamptons, it, it's amazing because we wouldn't even start playing until 1130 at night. Played till three, and it was, and then we'd sleep pretty much the whole day. Go to the beach, get baked, yeah. and do it again. Yeah. And so, but we were we'd spend time sort of in a beach environment in the summers, and then in the fall and spring and winter, we'd be more in the central New York okay. or New England area. And we had a couple booking agents that would keep us going. But we played for real seriously from seven, say seventy one, seventy two to seventy six, and. We didn't get a deal, so we said, we'll do our own album. Yeah. We'll do our own record company. We'll do the whole thing ourselves. Yeah. So we recorded an album and put it out, and, the, and, and we recorded two singles off that album. And then in those days, you could actually take a single around to radio stations, and you'd sort of beg them, or you'd play it for them and hope they'd play it. Yeah. And um, it started getting played on a major station in Syracuse. Yeah, from what I heard, yeah. uh, the... The first single, Sell My Misery, ranked number five in, yeah. in the charts. And yeah. then the second one, Who Loves You, went up to number three, I yeah. think. Yeah. And and the charts were the charts. In other words, you were competing with Paul McCartney right, and, and whomever. And it was we were we were right there. And I remember I'll never forget the rush of driving to one of these gigs up in Syracuse. We had the radio on. And all of a sudden we heard ourselves. Yeah. And that was a Rush, And then when we got to the parking lot, the place was packed. And we realized, ah, the power of the media. So we, we re oh my God, that was such a rush. Oh, man. Yeah, and your album, As They Are, which, you know, has the singles we were talking about, yep. Sell My Misery and... and uh, Who Loves You. Who Loves You. Yep. Um, it's it sold out pretty much immediately, Totally. Right? Um, yeah, it did. And uh, I heard that you guys were charting higher than like the Beatles and we some were. of the other really in, in 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 the region. Yeah, we didn't make it's much great. money because again, it's regional. Right. So once it started taking off, we knew that we now had credentials. You could go down to New York City and say, "Okay." I left home for the So then we then we took it down, and we got Columbia Records interested, and uh, Columbia paid to have us come down into a studio, yeah. and to, they paid the whole schmeal. Boy, were we feeling good about that, and we did a demo with them. Yeah, and they, I think they were pretty much the biggest record. One of the, the biggest, country, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul Atkinson was the guy who worked at Columbia. He was also in. I don't, I, I don't care what they say. I won't stay in a world without love. Uh, it was, um, it was the zombies. Yeah. I think it was the zombies. It was the zombies. I won't yeah. stay in a world without love. It was the zombies. Okay, but he was, he was just freaked out over the, over the band. We went into that final meeting to sign, and they had this look of like ghosts on their faces. It was something to do with disco or this craze of whatever disco was. It was just exploding and uh, the, they, they basically said well guess what things just changed yeah and we're 
we're sorry to tell you guys that we have to hold on this yeah. because we just we were going to sign 10 acts they had a whole list of these major acts that we're going to sign mm-hmm. and they got the phone call saying don't sign any of them stop sorry we told you we could we can't yeah. that was a heartbreaking it was yeah. heart wrenching and it was like this is unbelievable bullshit yeah and and so we started saying you know normally when you go to school there's a ladder you can climb like say you want to be a doctor mm-hmm. or you want to be an architect or something there's normally some sense of some kind of order right. on the planet earth right where you do this and you achieve a phd or you do whatever and there's step by step and that's when i realized the music business was literally completely fickle yeah. Chaos. Yeah. Which it still is, really. Mm-hmm. You know, you get yourself on the shelf, and whether or not you get signed is whether some producer was hung over or not, or whether he ate right. a bagel and it digested the right way, <laughs> right. and you might get signed. Yeah. And it was like, or you wouldn't get signed. And I started saying, what? Yeah. Are you kidding? Basically, we, at that point, the band broke up. So after that happens, then did you take a break from music for a little while? I, or did you well, I, well of... I think it was so much in my blood. I was yeah. still, I still had this incredible idealism. I still hung on to it. Thought, well, we'll just get another different drummer and we'll just do this. And um, my brother Bob and I continued sort of limping along. About two or three years later, I um, jump into the world of architecture. I've, I'd always been into art. And I um, said, you know, I'm going to take some courses and I'm going to get into the real world and right. and uh, get into engineering, architecture and stuff like that and mm-hmm. put a parachute on essentially and get out there and start. And, I, you know, I met my wife, my future wife. And yeah. I said, you know what? I want to have a family. I want to live a normal life here a little bit as right. opposed to chaos. Yeah. Utter chaos. Yeah. So, I mean, again, music is great, but boy, you got to have a parachute on. Yeah. So before we move on, uh, I wanted to ask you about a Dean Brothers track in particular, the song called Mars. Uh, Now, your daughter, Emily, currently works for NASA as part of the Mars rover team. Will you tell us more about the song and the strange coincidence? Oh, my God, it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts because I remember... I remember um, writing it. I I wrote it out of... Well, this is way before Emily. Mm -hmm. It's before Mo, my wife. And... um, it was in 1976 when either landed, I think we might, we landed something on Mars and it took a picture. There was a lot of other stuff going on then mm-hmm. and it was on like the third or fourth page in. And uh, that's where I saw some pictures on the news today. They say there may be life on Mars. Yeah. I was frustrated and wanted to write a song that sort of expressed the rage of why isn't this a bigger deal? And for whatever reason, it was a back page item. And so I just sat down and started banging the guitar and started singing, I want to go to Mars. Then I get married, have my daughter, and then Cornell Space Sciences, they're looking for people in high schools that want to get involved in their Martian thing they were doing at the time, which happened to have been, they were designing the rovers, the two robots Mm -hmm. that'll be on Mars. So Emily started going up there to Cornell and, and... um, she kept going and was excited about it. And some people kept, some of the kids kept going. Some of them kind of dropped out, but she stayed with it right through high school. She worked with that 
team, you know, I'm sure probably what she was doing in 10th grade was just getting him coffee or whatever, whatever she would do yeah. as an intern in there. And then she went, of course, to four years of art history at uh, Ithaca College. And in the meantime, all the way through her four years, she stuck with the Cornell thing. This is a, the Mars rover design, developed the rovers for the Mars launch. And then when she graduated from um, uh, Ithaca College, they asked her if she wanted a job there. And again, this is all, I want to go to Mars yeah. related. Yeah. And I just, I don't know how all of this cosmically works. Yeah. It so, was, it's so cosmic, I don't even know how to wrap my brain around yeah, I still don't know, how does that happen? Yeah, you and know, she's still, still to this day doing, doing that. And, she's um, doing that. So she operates the cameras on the rover, correct? Yep. And, yep. And if, She's still doing it. Yeah, if there is life on Mars, she might be the very first person to see it, right? She could be Wouldn't the first. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because right now, like right here, I see a bug on the window. If they saw a bug, <laughs> yeah. it would. It could be tiny. It could be the size of a flea. Yeah. The world would freak. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know... She would be the she would probably be the first, right? Because yeah. they tell her to aim it and shoot, and then she gets the pictures and she assembles them, yeah. and then delivers them to the scientists. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wow. Well, let's hear the song. So this is called Mars, uh, written by John Dean and the Dean Brothers Band. Martian life 
everybody back on earth it's jeff here i want to remind everybody to check out abomaudio.com there you'll find a blog about every band and videos of all the live performances you can also see art done by myself and other talented artists and learn about our new cd where we've compiled all our live performances into one awesome cd called abom a-list i would like to encourage you to share and like and comment on any platform you listen to this show help others to find us, and help us to keep going. Now back to the interview. So I guess that kind of leads us to closer to the present now. Yep. And, yep. and this year, you released a brand new album called Still Do. Yep. Uh, yep. Will you tell us more about what inspired the songs on that album and how you recorded them? Well, you know, you could. I've got what I'm pointing to over here. I've got a 16-track little thing that's a foot long. Then, And I started recording, learning how to use it, and recording on my own. So on the album, did you play all it's, of the instruments? Yeah, pretty much everything. Cool. Everything you're cool. hearing on that That's one. That's great. Yeah. And once in a while, I'll bring in some of my nieces yeah. and nephews or something to, to play. Cool. So was the, yeah. was the album mostly recorded in this room yep. that we're in right yep. now? So yep. just to describe it, it's pretty neat. It's basically, so you drive down John's driveway, and you kind of see a shed at the end of the driveway. And you come in the shed, and it's it's nice, kind of, you know, a typical shed, but then there's this little back door. You step through that and come down, and that's where we're at now. It's a, a little studio room, and he's got a pretty cool little setup here with some nostalgic Dean Brothers posters and some nice artwork and lyrics around. It's pretty cool, cool. You, and you don't need a lot of space. Yeah. You know, it's almost like... It's twice the size of a cubicle at a, at a job, but to me, that's cozy. It totally works for me, and you can do it now with the technology that exists. You can do this yourself. So a lot of these songs are coming from all over the place. Some of them are just from conversations or just right. a, some idea that hits me while I'm driving down the road. A lot of the songs I wrote you know, between 1970 and 1980, but I kept right on writing, and like still do is a song that I wrote, you know, pretty much about my lovely wife now, you yeah, know. That's and one of my favorite tracks off the new album. Do I wanna hug you till the stars fade to dawn? Do I wanna kiss you again in the pouring rain? 
Well, I think one thing that's really striking about your new album is a lot of times, you know, when you hear an artist who, if you compare, you know, work later in their life compared to earlier in their life, a lot of times you can kind of hear the emotion is mm-hmm. missing in the later songs. In the later it's, songs. It's almost like they're, tr- they're trying really hard to get what they had before, but they're missing that passion and the emotion. Yep. And with your your album, it's just it's so emotional and genuine and, and passionate. It, it just sounds to me like you haven't lost a step in terms of what you bring to it emotionally. Whoa! Like it's, it's I take that genuine. as the ultimate compliment because I hear demos or somebody gives me a song that, and they're now like sixty years old, mm-hmm. and I knew them when they were like hot. Yeah. And it's different. Yeah. yeah. And I think, oh my God, am I one of them? I'm nervous about that because you know you you can almost be delusional about yeah, your own absolutely. artwork. You go, oh, I'm such an artist. Yeah. Aren't I incredible? Uh-huh. And I hope you're right. I think I'm I, I. Oh God, <laughs> I hope you're right because that always. But I would keep doing it anyway, even yeah. though I was delusional. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would keep doing it just because I got, I just breathe it. The current version of us playing out, me mm-hmm. playing out, is either solo like this, yeah. which I do once in a while. Or we play in a band called Dean's List, which is really my brother Bob and I, originally Dean Brothers, his daughter, Kate Ellen, and my niece, Caroline Manring. So anyway, but that's a, that's a, and that's a riot. Yeah. And you guys stay, you stay really active. So you've got, you know, your solo shows and the Dean's List shows. Yep, yep. And um, in a given month, you know, do you usually play once a month? Well, it's not, yeah, it's it's really probably once a month, sometimes twice a month. Actually, right now we're busy, so it's once a week. Oh, wow. So you're going to play a brand new live song for us, right? So this is a song I just wrote. Uh, It's literally in the process, and it's called Ring Thing. And it's just a silly thing like a Rodgers and Hammerstein um, song. It would be sung sort of like this through a microphone or a little tin thing. So imagine that when you hear it. could go in a 1920s-style movie or something. You know, who knows? One, two, three, four... I used to want them all Medium, short, and tall But no more Cause I got a new thing Searching for love boats Sowing my wild oats No more Cause I'm here I want to be your anything I want to make your heart sing More than a spring fling I want to be your anything Now I'm not gonna stop Gonna shop and 
till I drop Looking for a gold band For your left hand And if it's not a perfect fit I'm not gonna bother with it Cause we'll take it back For another But I will do my best to size it right Chris here. I just wanted to let you know about a special bonus song that John performed for us. You won't hear it in the episode, but if you go to abombaudio.com, you can check it out. That's right. We're giving you two live videos this month. You'll also find photos of the Dean Brothers Band and links to John's albums. Bam! So don't forget, right after the episode ends, scoot over to abombaudio.com. Now back to the show. What advice do you have for young songwriters? Is there anything in particular that you feel like you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started your career? Wow. I would say to have an alternative source to make a living Mm -hmm. while you're doing it. In other words, maybe you go to college, but you also do this. Um, If I had it to live over again, I would tell any band... Forget the money end of it. If you're thinking only about money, it's almost like a hindrance to the whole thing. You have to do it out of total love for doing it. Pursue it sort of on that level. Also, when you're songwriting, we'll go from your heart, but learn from the masters too. We learned right off the records. And we learned totally how to do it from masters. To me, there's a huge value in that. As opposed to just saying, well... Just go do your thing. Right. Um, Which is great, because there's a whole part of art that is totally doing your thing. Mm -hmm. But you got to know how to play the chord. Yeah, the fundamentals. Do you feel that your motivations as a songwriter are different now compared to when you were first starting out? When I was first starting out, they were directly related to who I was going out with. Yeah. Frankly. (laughs) It was direct. (laughs) I was like... and But... but it's still a, it's still a romantic thing, mm-hmm. you know. You just you're 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 channeled toward you know your 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 marriage, but mm-hmm. it's it's still a romantic thing, and all those feelings keep coming up. Music somehow makes it 
all mesh with now. Yeah. You know, I'm really happy with now. To forever, we're gonna In a weird way, I'm glad that we didn't make it hugely big. Yeah. Because imagine having a family. I mean, in other words, none of this would be happening at all if that was... I mean, yeah. you'd have the paparazzi chasing you around. You'd have one of your kids would be all on drugs or so, something right. crazy or whatever. And you'd be living fancy and driving, you know, fancy cars and stuff. But what would your life be like? Yeah. So I look back on it now and I go, wow. You know, I'm glad I can live a normal... I'm a normal human. Yeah. Just couldn't go over shopping and nobody's spotting you. Yeah. But then, of course, and then there's that part of me that really wishes it would have happened, too. Yeah. I mean, I got, I, come on. Yeah. You know, but right. of course you want that. Mm-hmm. But then you talk to any of these famous actors and famous people, and they all say, oh, man, do you really want so. this? Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's really an honor, and it's wow. great, great to hear your stories and hear your music. And... Oh, man, this is an honor for me. And... I was going to go do something productive, but then I just wanted to hear your story. Oh, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, I appreciate this. Are you kidding? Thanks for listening to A-Bomb Audio, sponsored by 7sidedrecords.com. We'll be back next month for our final episode of the season. Today's show was hosted and produced by Justin Bircher. <laughs> Production assistance by Mary Broadway, Jeff Stogas, and Jeff Galuska. <laughs> Sound engineering and design by Justin Bircher. Commentary and voiceovers by Jeff Stogas and your boy, Chris Sherm. What? What? <laughs> Episode 5 was recorded on location in Lansing, New York, and produced at the Seven Sided River House in North Aurora, Illinois. Show your support by shooting us some stars on iTunes, liking us on Facebook, and following us on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. It's not a bombable, it's a bomb audio. Bye bye.